You are listening to Cortez Community Radio, CKTZ 89.5 FM. Also on the internet at CortezRadio.ca. It's embarrassing, all the stupid things I can think of to think about. Is there anything that could really bring my mind back to my senses? Welcome, neighbor, to Folk U Radio, Folk University's talk show taking old-school viral. I'm your host, Manda O'Fox Gillespie. It's embarrassing, all the stupid things I can think of to think about. Is there anything that could really bring my mind back to my senses? Hello, neighbor, and welcome to another episode of Folk U Radio 101, where we ask our neighbors, what do you know? Today's show, we are calling The Social Dilemma 101, and we have registered clinical therapist, I hope I didn't mess up your title, Haley Newell, aka I like to call her Professor Newell, um, as she has now provided a series of really amazing talks for Folk U 101. I'm just going to say now that one of our regular listeners still talks about Your Brain 101 as the best show he's heard. Um, so so thank you, Professor Newell, for being here. Uh, you can listen to some of Haley's past talks on the brain, the nervous system, and this show uh, will even be up on our folku.ca podcasts section of the website. That's F-O-L-K-U dot C-A backslash podcast. So do check that out. Before we begin, I'd like to take a moment to ground myself in this day and this community. I am lucky to live here. Cortez Island is the home of CKTZ, Cortez Community Radio. And wherever you are, I hope you will also take a moment to think about the land and the beings that make up the place you call home and the people that came before you. Thank you. I acknowledge that the Cortez Community Radio Station is on the unceded territorial lands of the Klahus, the Slyaman, and the Hamako peoples. Thank you to these peoples. Thank you to all the people who have walked this land through time and that continue to love and work and honor this place we call home. Thank you to this land. This last year has transformed the way we work, the way we play, learn, and interact by bringing more and more of our lives online. A while ago, I reached out to Haley and I said, please, I need you to do a show about what is happening to my brain with all these Zoom calls. And in just that way that I like, and that makes us all so fond of Haley, she went away and did her magic working with mentors and professors and doing her own research to look at this episode and it's sort of in all of its depth. Um, so thank you, Haley, for doing that. And thank all of you for being part of the conversation. Welcome to the studio, Haley. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here as usual. I was hoping you could start by telling us a little bit more about your background and why you were interested in looking at media and its effects on the human brain and human activity. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm a registered therapeutic counselor, so very close. Um, but yes, registered therapeutic counselor. I work with people of all ages, children, adolescents, and adults. And I have a practice that is now almost 100% online. So like most people, my daily work life has completely changed uh, due to COVID and that ongoing situation. I do have a, a small practice here on Cortez as well. Um, however, most of it has moved online. So um, my curiosity in this has been developing for a long time, actually, um, in watching the kids that I work with in my play therapy practice and themes in their play that I think stem from media and in some cases social media themes in their play that stem from watching their parents and um, older people in their life interacting with media um, and and so just being you know open and curious about that to my own personal experience with social media and what I've noticed about myself and my brain um, and specifically my um, attention my ability to uh, engage in things with focused attention for long periods of time and then yeah more recently with this migration to everything and all things being online just you know what what consequences known and unknown are we sort of getting ourselves into with absolutely everything being online um i think that before the pandemic we were already seeing a huge amount of social media use some could say social social media addiction um <clears throat> and so now that we've moved so much more online um what are the consequences and as usual um in going away and and thinking about these things and preparing for this <clears throat> i do think that this is a, a talk or a subject pardon me that we could do a few segments on because you know it's a lot to just kind of lay the foundation of um you know what is happening with the brain as we're interacting with with media and as, specifically what i'm going to talk about today is with social media um so that in and of itself is kind of a really big chunk and i feel like from there we could have a few more conversations around um impacts to learning um yeah what's too much you know and then also like all of the it's not all bad right like there's so many benefits and that's like most things it's like we have this wave of this amazing new technology and there's been so many benefits alongside of these potential downfalls and harms so yeah just also really wanting to explore both sides of the coin and um yeah there's a lot there's a lot in this <laughs> So you asked me as homework before this session, and we're going to talk about this later, to watch The Social Dilemma, which is a Netflix documentary mm -hmm. or a documentary that's on Netflix. Um, and so I did. And one of the things that really stood out that I think is a nice kind of basis for beginning was that they, they talked about how the human brain, by and large, has been more or less functioning the same way for many thousands of years versus social media, computers, our ability around computers has been changing faster than pretty much anything 
has ever changed in human history. And they had um, a, a, something like processing speeds have have increased by more than a trillion times since we started the concept of computer processing in the like 1950s. So I thought, you know, so what do we have to know to even begin to understand the complexity of a kind of uh, slow to change human and a very quick to change world of computers um, that we now live within? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that's a great place to start is to understand literally what is happening with our brain as we engage with um, social media. So that's where I am going to start. Um, I think the very first thing that I will say, uh, because there is a little bit of a question in this talk and, you know, in this, um, in this area around social media addiction. So I just wanted to start by saying that addiction, the root of addiction is really about connection. And so social media, of course, one of the primary motivators for using social media is connection in all sorts of ways. So anything, um, and we are very wired for, conne uh, for connection. We have millennia of um, evolution, evolutionary processes that have gone into the ways that we are literally set up to be in connection with other human beings and that our brain doesn't develop properly unless we are in connection with other human beings. You know, we talked a little bit about that in the brain talk and we could talk even more about that, but really just to, it can't really be understated, pardon me, it can't be overstated how um, driven we are to be in connection with other human beings. So anything like social media that is set up to increase connection or to potentially increase connection could have that potential pitfall of addiction because that is such a fundamental need for people and also so much of the way our brain is wired. So <clears throat> where I'm going to start with this is is with something called our dopamine reward system and our HPA axis. So this is this next part is going to be a little technical and you know if at any point you want to read through it I will as usual provide a written uh, summary of all this so people can refer to it and I I've done my best to to make it simple and I think it is still complex because it is the brain and and so much of this is emerging um, so um, you can always email me, ask me questions, follow up. And the other caveat that I always like to put out there when I do these talks is that I'm not a brain expert. This is a field that I'm really interested in and I'm continuously learning about through my work as a counselor, but also as a personal curiosity. So um, there's always the possibility for, you know, little things that I might get wrong and uh, you can let me know. So having said all of that, simply put... Social media uses, um, pardon me, it triggers our dopamine reward system via something called our HPA axis. What that is, is our hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So your, your, um, your adrenal glands, your pituitary glands. This is a network of brain systems and peripheral systems that involve your hypothalamus, your pituitary gland, and your adrenals. 
So in breaking this down a little bit more, stress, as we've talked about before, I think in our nervous system talk, is generally defined as any external event or stimulus that can create challenge to a human or an organism. So stressful stimuli um, elicit certain brain responses that are designed to get us to react. That's its job. And it's really specifically about getting us to react to potential threats or dangers. And so the way I broke this down before was that if, if your sensing system, your body, your brain um, perceives a challenge in the external world and your system goes, I can do something about that challenge, your sympathetic nervous system comes online. And so your fight flight response, it mobilizes to do something like run away or fight. Um, in more day-to-day language, that would be, you know, to engage in an argument or to walk away from an argument or to, um, um, yeah, that kind of thing. If you perceive a challenge in the external world and your system goes, I cannot do anything about that, that's when one of the branches of your parasympathetic nervous system um, gets activated and you go into more of a withdrawal, shutdown, slowdown response. So basically, in sum, activation of your HPA axis triggers this fight and flight system in reaction to perceived threats, right? And again, the purpose of this activation is to get us to do something in order to return to homeostasis. We really do need this system to keep us alive. The problem with prolonged chronic stress is that it precipitates a number of pathological conditions or, you know, um, mental health issues like anxiety and depression. And it can lead to things like drug use. It can precipitate a lot of really challenging behaviors for us. Um, Another result of the activation of our sympathetic nervous system is that our prefrontal cortex, our logical, discerning, thinking brain goes completely offline. You get flooded with adrenaline, your survival brain takes over, and um, that ability to be logical is gone. You're flooded with hormones, etc. And so you, you become in that moment ruled by your primitive drives and your heightened emotional states, generally around pleasure or outrage. So you can kind of see maybe by now a little bit where I'm going with this around social media. Because um, isn't that really kind of the landscape of social media right now? You, um, you know, you see something on Facebook that's really activating and it's like, I'm going to engage in this. I'm going in for the Facebook fight. And then, you know, there you are in this Facebook fight, potentially with a total stranger. You have no interpersonal connection with you, have no context. And here you are engaging in this battle. And meanwhile, this entire system, old as time, is is activated. So so that's a really big part of this. Um <clears throat> Part of why this is really concerning is that repeated activation in this way releases cortisol, and cortisol has been demonstrated to have really detrimental effects on memory and cognition. So, you know, you you can think, and it, we'll talk about it more, but um, that's something that's been a real personal curiosity for me is like, oh yeah, why is it that my attention is is becoming diminished, it seems, over time? Um, high cortisol level levels are also implicated in other, in mental health struggles as well. Um, yeah. So this is where 
your dopamine reward system starts to come into play. <clears throat> and we can start here by ba basically starting with the two main things that drive the things that we do. So we have our needs, like basic survival needs, food, sleep, avoidance of pain, rewards, oh, pardon me, and rewards. So any object, event, or activity um, can be a reward if it motivates us, causes us to learn, or elicits pleasurable feelings. How our brains compute the value of a reward and how that is translated into action relates to our reward system. So basically, dopamine is, is enhancing reward-related memories. It strengthens the communication that's happening um, in the brain's learning center. So said another way, whatever fires together, wire, wires together. So you, you are, um, you're getting into these loops where if something is perceived as pleasurable or has been experienced as pleasurable, you're going to want to go in for more. Um, <clears throat> this next part I found really interesting and this was new for me. Um, it's not actually the reward itself, but the expectation of a reward that most powerfully influences emotional reactions and memories. So reward learning occurs when we experience something unexpected, when the actual reward kind of differs from what we would otherwise have predicted. If a, if a reward is greater than anticipated, dopamine signaling increases. If the reward is less than expected, dopamine signaling decreases. So in contrast, correctly predicting a reward does not alter our dopamine signaling because we aren't learning anything new. So I thought that, that was really interesting because, um, because when we are engaging with social media, there's always that little bit of the unknown, right? Like your phone is sitting there and maybe you haven't checked it in a while, etc. And you think, yeah, I wonder if so-and-so has posted today. <clears throat> I wonder what articles they've shared. I really like that person's articles. But there's always this kind of sense of like, I don't really know what I'm going to find there when I go. So that just, again, speaks to me of how it's how social media is feeding into this system. Um, yeah. And then also anything like the positive um, attention that we're getting on Facebook is also, or any of the other so social media, I'm referring to Facebook a lot, but um, <clears throat> if we are receiving positive uh, attention on social media channels like likes or comments, this is also going to be spiking that dopamine reward system. Uh, could, we, could we just stop there for one second? Yeah. So I want to make sure I understand that. So yeah. because the 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 uh, you talked about what fires together, wires together, and you're saying that it's not actually so much the reward. So in this case, maybe the reward is a Facebook like mm -hmm. or the article that you went to seek out that that someone you follow shared is really good. Yeah, it's not that. It's the that the anticipation of that is the reward. It's the thing that our brain loves. Yeah, exactly. And, and so then what? So then does that mean that it's sort of like no matter what happens later, right, you get on and then you know that feeling afterwards where you're like, I just feel like crap. Mm -hmm. Like I actually just spent time I did not want to spend on there or mm -hmm. this the whole thing made me feel bad. That's not what our brain remembers. What our brain remembers is that moment 
of reaching for it in anticipation. Is that? Yeah, exactly. And what you just said gets into the next part around how this can lead to <clears throat> dopamine depletion. And this other um, this other really interesting piece that I learned about with this around opposite emotions coming into play. So, so yes, we absolutely feel lower often after we have engaged in social media for maybe longer than we anticipated. Um, and yeah, there's, there's reason for that. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, so there's another interesting piece just before I get back to that. I just don't want to forget that there's also studies that are showing that dopamine release. Actually, this does relate to what you were saying, Manda. Dopamine release is also increased in response to aversive stimuli, not just pleasurable, which this was also new information for me and fascinating because I just thought, oh, yeah, dopamine, <clears throat> one of the happy, one of the happy hormones. Um, but this actually suggests that dopamine is likely to be involved in motivation and attention processes that are underlying the response to relevant stimuli, whether they are adversive or rewarding. So my curiosity here is, do we experience a reward, so to speak, from engaging in content online, whether it is aversive or comforting? So are we actually getting a bit of this dopamine reward system cycle happening when we engage in the Facebook fight? You know, and so that's an unanswered question for me, but that was one of the many kind of fascinating little nuggets that came about in this um, process. And also, if that's the case, if when we engage in the Facebook fight, for example, do we get rewarded and thus deepening those path pathways? So the message next time is, yeah, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Right. Um, so anyway, this is where we get into dopamine depletion. Um and where I'm going to start with this is an interesting theory that I read about, um, which relates to, I think, some of the ideas in physics around polarity. But this theory that when an emotion such as fear is experienced, it will trigger the opposing emotion, such as relief or withdrawal, after a period of being in it for a while. So like I'm in the fear, I'm in the fear. And then at some point, the, the opposing emotion is going to get, um, it will surface. So then with repeated stimulation, the opponent emotion will start to become stronger and eventually will weaken the experience of the first emotion. So the initial dopamine activity increase uh, increase the pardon me the initial dopamine activity increase during stress will predispose the system to subsequent depression after a while so you so what you were just describing Manda of like yes I'm here I'm here and I'm getting this like this nice warm fuzzy feeling fuzzy feeling fuzzy feeling and now I feel like crap like what's going on here or I've been engaging in the Facebook fights and I've been in this like fight flight very activated <clears throat> Um, survival response cycle for all this time. And so now <clears throat> the, um, the opposite emotions that come after to kind of balance it out, because again, the system's always looking for homeostasis. Now that same thing is not even eliciting that much of a response in me because it's like the whole system is starting to get dulled down. Um, cause we've just been in this fear and this fear and this anger, anger, anger. So then the system pushes up the opposing emotions and eventually we don't feel as much of the fear. We don't feel as much of the anger. We feel the withdrawal or the shutdown 
you know, one of the ways of thinking about anger that can't really be expressed fully is that eventually you you come into a depression because it's like the the anger is getting stuffed down and 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 stuck in the body. <clears throat> and I think even though in the moment we can feel like we're having this cathartic experience when we're engaging in a Facebook fight, really the anger doesn't have the relational component, the full relational container to go all the way through its full cycle and leave the body. So, so anyway, I just found that fascinating that like over time, this opposing emotion is going to be actually overtaking the initial emotion that was primary. Um, and we know that repeated stress can lead to cortisol depletion and adrenal fatigue and studies also show that any kind of prolonged drug use that stimulates the dopamine system leads to a drop in dopamine levels. So by extension, it would make sense to me that overstimulation of the dopamine reward system in other ways, like via social media, would lead to a drop in dopamine over time. And there's all kinds of um, what are becoming quite common um, symptoms of dopamine depletion, like chronic fatigue and depression and um, restless leg syndrome. And I'll, I'll include a whole list of those in the show notes. But when you read through it, symptoms that are really quite common, like part of that whole, this, these kind of invisible sort of somewhat vague, you know, quote unquote illnesses or diseases um, <clears throat> that people are experiencing more and more. So so that's a big curiosity for me is just how much is this is this um, cycle, this like spin cycle that we're getting into leading to this dopamine depletion, which can look like so many other um, illnesses. So basically, in sum, we're drawn to social media because of a perceived reward and we get a dopamine hit. We then further engage with a system and the content that is actually designed to stimulate our fight flight system, which we'll talk about more in looking at this film. Um, it releases stress hormones in your body. We become run by our survival brain. We react emotionally based on pleasure and rage and are subsequently rewarded again, deepening these neural pathways. So, Basically, with social media um, so tightly connected to a person's reward system, I think this is really the point is that people using social media need to really realize the power that it has and potentially the possibility for abuse um, of the platforms that they're using. Because, you know, things like gambling or drug use or other things that can become addictive have power to like really kind of take over the brain's functioning and um, in a similar capacity basically to what is happening with social media. Um, so it's just something for social media users to be really aware of. Um, and then like the question for me, which kind of leads into the film that we watched is just like, to what end? Like, where is this all taking us, you know? And is this becoming like an invisible, invisible, pardon me, illness? Um, where it's like, to me, it's like our humanity is a little bit at stake in this. And again, you know, the, the film really touches on some of these themes, like um, 
what at what cost are we are we engaging in this to the level that we are and what are the consequences that we can see now what are the hidden consequences what are ones that we just really have no knowledge of yet because it's yet to be seen questions for me around um like the way that we actually innately know how to read each other's body languages and facial expressions. This is a big question for me around if we're interacting with screens in this way and having our brain chemistry affected so intensely over and over again, you know, are younger generations going to be able to pick up on all of the little micro cues that our nervous systems are sending each other all the time and the little micro body language and facial expressions. And, um, that's a whole other talk, but it is in doing all of this where my attention started to go is, is like, is that way in which we communicate at stake? Yeah. That's a lot for everybody to take in, and yes. I thought this might be a great moment for you listeners to go grab a cup of coffee and uh, give your dopamine uh, reward system a little hit by checking your social media accounts, and we're going to be right back um, just after a, a one song, so it's going to be short. Don't go and get too, don't get involved in any Facebook wars during this <laughs> short break. Uh, but you can call in uh, during the short break if you would like to help to ask a question of Haley that she'll try to answer in the next section of our talk at 250-935-0200. You are listening to Folk You Radio, our 101 show. And today we are taking on all things related to social media. We're calling it the social dilemma and figuring out what this is doing to us and our brains. So please do call in with any questions, 250-935-0200, and enjoy a short break. Every single song is like a poem, you know. matter where I roam Well, well, we know every single soul is a poem It's written on the back of God's hand No matter where I roam Well, well, we know every single soul is a poem It's written on the back of God's hand You see moms and pops be copulating Planting seeds and picking weeds for another season Another reason for living, another reason for giving, another reason for loving and trying to stay out of prison. Cause everything in life can't be nice, and everything you want can't be got. But the lessons on being patient be causing the pressure to rise and make some people suicidal. Oh no, another soul has lost control, pulling back into the fold. He got strung out on the material, all the superficial initials upon his clothes. They make me wanna go spree well. Every time I see my family locked in jail, uh huh. The economic can be demonic. Oh, keep loving yourself. No matter where I roam, well, well, we know every single soul is a poem. It's written on the back of God's hand. No matter where I roam. Well, well, we know every single soul is a poem It's written on the back of God's hand You see, people are so beautiful 
life's precious moments every time I see lovers walking by the park Close my eyes and I stop reminiscing See a little baby sucking on his mama's milk The silky smoothness of a loving caress Holding baby to breast And blessing the world with another to test, test, test Oh yes, oh yes, bang, bang I like to sing a little song dedicated to the people who would like to sing along Cause every little song has little beats and notes Like every little lake has little trees and boats All people deserve a safe and warm home Cause every single soul is a home No matter where I roam Well, well, we know every single soul is a poem. It's written on the back of God's name. No matter where I roam. Well, well, we know every single soul is a poem. It's written on the back of God's name. I want to show you something beautiful. Mm. It's lovely, it's lovely. Right from the start, in a world torn apart, a baby's love, these fingerprints upon the heart. So many thinking, but never saying, why bring a child to this planet full of hatred? They might not make it like the youngest departed, but worst of all, they might become a part of it. Five in it, perpetuating violence, violence, and growing up in silence, seeing things they don't know how to deal with, and learning ways to try to cope with it, cope with it. I lose hope no matter where I roam. Well, well, we know every single soul is a poem. It's written on the back of God's name. No matter where I roam. Well, well, we know every single soul is a poem. It's written on the back of God's name. No matter where I roam. Well, we know every single soul is a poem. It's written on the back of God's name. No matter where I roam, well, I know every single soul is a poem. It's written on the back of God's hand. Come on, y'all. Ha-ha. Can you hear that? Yeah. Sounds good, y'all. Hell yeah. It's lovely, it's lovely. I'm starting to feel something here, y'all. That's what I'm saying. I'm what starting to feel something. What you feeling? I'm going to show you what something. You I'm going to show you something.
Welcome back to Cortez Community Radio, CKTZ 89.5 FM. You are listening to the Folk You Radio 101 show. And today's guest, we have Haley Newell on with us, registered therapeutic counselor. And today she is our brain professor. And we are talking about all things social media and social media addiction. We were talking over the break about how confronting a lot of this stuff is um, for me and for many people. Uh, so I hope that you had a moment of downtime during the break to get ready for, for what's to come. We, so next we're going to talk a little bit about this Netflix documentary of which I stole the name for this show. Excuse me, Netflix. Uh, please don't come after us. We don't have any money. <laughs> um, so this it's called The Social Dilemma. And it's a documentary interviewing researchers, leading doctors, and many of the biggest names from Silicon Valley and about the way that social media has been purposely designed to change our brains and manipulate our behaviors. So I'm hoping you could tell us a little bit more about the documentary and what stood out in it for you. Yeah, well... This documentary, um, I think it came out at a really interesting time in in history, given um, the move to the online world with the pandemic. And it it came out at a time where I I have been coming into awareness on these things more and more over the past couple of years. So, for example, the the fact that everything we do online is tracked and that we are being that you know there's Siri etc these smart devices they're smart because they are um, tracking us and recording things that we're doing and then all of that information is used to advertise to us so it's it's confronting because, you know, way back in the day, starting a Gmail account, you know, we were all pretty, I mean, I think most people were pretty innocently signing up for all of this stuff, not really knowing the full consequences of those things, right? Like all these products are free. How are they free? Well, they're not really free because what, what they are... Um, what they are doing is learning from us about our uh, spending habits, about how we how we behave when we're vulnerable, um, in order to make advertising more effective. So one of the people in this film um, uh, who has another really great little YouTube video that I'll include uh, in the show notes, she talks about how basically what's happened with um, all of these media companies is an advertiser's dream come true because an advertiser wants to know that if they put an ad in, you know, the Super Bowl or whatever, they want to know that that ad is going to be successful that, and that that's going to result in people buying the product. And in order for ads to be really successful, you need really good data. And that is what all of these uh, companies are getting from us is, da is data. And not just specifically our personal data, but really the clincher is it's our behaviors. And so in tracking all of our behaviors online, they're 
essentially building models of how different people behave and in different moments. So when is so-and-so more vulnerable? When is so-and-so more lonely? We notice that at this time of night, their spending patterns go up. So let's send them an ad for that jacket they were talking about with their friend or whatever. Like this is, and people, I don't think that this is, um, I think this is becoming a pretty known thing now. Most of us have had the experience of having a conversation with someone and then going on their phone and seeing an ad for something related to what you were talking about. That is because your phone is paying attention to all of that. Your devices are paying attention to all of that for the purpose of marketing back to you what, um, how would I put it? Like the, it's like, it's, it's like, it's marketing back to you, your, your ideal persona in a way it, it anyway, the, the mind can go into some crazy places, but basically, um, as I was saying, one of the people interviewed in this, in this film, she's saying how like, this is just, uh, this is just companies it's like winning the ultimate, ultimate lottery because you can target advertising perfectly to like down to the, just the most amazing specificity of like, yep, if we hit this person in this time frame with this particular ad, the chances of them buying it are like 99.9%. So that is one of the main things that stood out to me is that we have essentially become the products. Um, and, and we have done that without any informed consent. And that's really the thing. And I mean, we know that a lot of these tech giants are being confronted on stuff like this now more and more. There's been all kinds of lawsuits with Facebook, et cetera. So this is something that is coming out more and more, but it's, it's, it's amazing to think about because it's, it's like this big experiment that we never consented to. And that's totally illegal really so um <laughs> and again now we have what I've been noticing every time there's a software update like the language around everything changes just a little bit um and so it's like you can't anyway I I won't go into all of that detail but it's just amazing to me to watch how um how all of this stuff is shifting and changing over time to kind of keep us involved in it and continues to keep us engaged in it um and getting us to, in a way, consent. But it's really, it, from the beginning, it, there really hasn't been a proper process of informed consent. So I think that is one of the main things that we need to be aware of and, and, and come together on. Like, how do we want to proceed? Now that we really know that we're being tracked in these ways and it's for the purposes of marketing and, and selling and consuming, what do we want to agree to, you know? There's just a couple of things I can't hold back because uh, they're they're so disturbing and strange. So you were talking about your phone listening to you. And I'm a wee bit paranoid, so I've turned off Siri. I've turned off all those things. Um, I don't, you know, of course, like anybody else on Cortez, I don't have a Alexis or, mm -hmm. um, I, you know. So a little bit I thought I'm not really being listened to. Mm -hmm. But I had this family member living with me for a while. And and he was really worried about baldness, mm. male baldness. Mm. This was like ongoing conversations and him talking about male baldness. And 
very soon after I started, and to this day, mm-hmm. I get emails about male baldness, all sorts of like creams, ads that pop up on who knows what about male baldness. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, it, and it's shocking. Like who was listening to me? His mm-hmm. phone, my phone, how did his phone know it was me, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So there's one example of clearly we're being um, – more than we realize Mm -hmm. is being taken from us. Mm -hmm. And then one of the things that stood out about this in the film is I, like we know that our information is being collected Mm -hmm. and that they're using it to track us Mm -hmm. even if we've tried to remove ourselves a bit. Mm -hmm. And when I bring that up to people, like, well, doesn't it bother you that they're tracking you, that they have all this information about you? What I'm often told is, no, I'm not worried because I'm not doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they didn't they didn't really touch on this that much in the film, but they showed a little bit, I believe it was in the Philippines, about mm-hmm. how all of a sudden they this tracking and the social media platforms were used to, in very quick time, turn against the Muslim community, Mm -hmm. which resulted in just a huge genocide, Mm -hmm. like genocide, many, many dead people Mm -hmm. from from their information, right? Mm -hmm. That they that they could go, you could find anyone and know what their ethnicity was. Mm -hmm. And it's not that, you know, Facebook or Instagram or anything said that that was bad it's Mm -hmm. that it has no judgment and somebody else decided they were bad yeah yeah exactly exactly and then there's you know there's the example of the of the manipulation in the election in 2016 and and so yeah i i hear that like i'm not doing anything wrong i'm not doing anything bad who cares like it's fine um and some people i've heard that they like having these targeted ads they like you know that they see stuff from the same companies and whatever so yeah I think it's having these really um, disturbing and destructive consequences that I think perhaps people just haven't like linked it all up yet that um, that we need to at least have a conversation about you know it's like sure it's not such a thing if you really love buying John Fluvog shoes and you keep getting ads for Fluvogs it's a totally other thing if our democratic process is compromised if the health and well-being and safety of people in a faraway community is compromised um and then also what that makes me think about just more and more is is how is how polarized things are becoming um and especially since this pandemic and again i mean specifically it just makes me think about how this how this stuff is actually designed to do that because when we're in that fight flight response as i was talking about we are so much more manipulatable. We are so much more vulnerable. And so if we are continuously put into, like, just keep them in that state, keep, you know, keep putting them in that state, we, we're just more susceptible to all kinds of things. Um, certain ideas, um, being sold to, shopping, you know, just all, like, all of these things that can be kind of more impulsive, 
we're we're so so much more susceptible to it and and that's where I really would want people to to hmm, how would I put it like we our brains our human systems and brains are so much more vulnerable and manipulatable than I think we realize and so so much can be happening that we are not aware of so to circle back with with folks that are like oh yeah whatever it doesn't matter I like those targeted ads it's like sure but there's this whole other thing happening that needs to be brought more into the light because again it's like how far can it go how and it we we've been seeing some pretty extreme stuff in the last few years and especially in this last year there's really extreme stuff and 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 is would that be possible without social media probably not does that mean we need to take away social media not necessarily but like where are the lines you know that's another thing that really stood out to me and i i I had a really fantastic conversation with just a genius who's a bit younger than me um, uh, about some of this stuff. And he had already driven home. He's like, if it's for free, then what they're making money off is you. And in the documentary, it sort of clarifies that is what they're making money off is your attention. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that it's important that we go beyond just talking about Facebook and Pinterest and Instagram because we're also talking about Google and most of our search engines and Gmail mm-hmm. and these other things and um and and this is like kind of where I think it starts to get very troubling. For instance, in the documentary, it shows, and we've been talking about this for years, right? If I put in to my account and Google uh, climate change is, mm-hmm. I'm going to see one set of answers. Mm-hmm. If you, if I do that same search, but I'm not on the West Coast of Canada and I'm in Ohio, mm-hmm. I'm going to get yet again different answers to what climate change is and if you do it right here next to me even though we're somewhat similar you're going to get even different answers than that and so that what we learn what we do is we live in a silo we live in a Mm. silo more and more where we only interact and come up against ideas that are just exactly like what we already believe Mm -hmm. And they look into this in deeper depth um, on on the documentary where they're like, how did anybody ever come to believe some of the crazy conspiracy theories that are coming mm-hmm. around? And it was just this sort of like gentle gateway where they saw that, oh, well, a lot of people who were open to reading about completely normal, you know, things about civic engagement would also spend a little bit of time looking at this, which is a little bit more radicalized. We would also spend time looking at this, which is a little bit more radicalized until Facebook, Google ads themselves were bringing forth things on Pizzagate. Yes. Which is a really out there seeming conspiracy. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. But it, the way that they, they lead you through that in the documentary is good because, yeah, like they, I think, I can't remember if it's a comedian. There's a fellow on there who talks about another 
conspiracy theory um, of the flat earth conspiracy theory. And he's making a joke of it. He's like, and he apologized. He's like, I'm sorry. Like, it's just, I was in, he doesn't use this word, but it's like being in a house of mirrors. So you're just having this certain perspective and these certain things that reinforce this viewpoint that you're coming to. And so then it's like, oh, well, and also like all of these peer groups. So again, it gets back to this idea of connection. Like not only am I, so now I have, I've stumbled onto this thing through, you know, seemingly innocent means like this thing that I was looking at, civic engagement, da, 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 led me to this. Da, 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 da. And now there's all this connection available here. And so, and so that just reinforces even more like, oh yeah, I'm, 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 I'm accepted here. I can share these thoughts here. I have friends here. We cannot overstate how, good that feels to us like that is it's oh gosh what do I want to compare it to it's like it's like a bead of honey it's like we we crave it so much it's so deeply nourishing and then if you think about in the pandemic how we have all been not only in our social media silos that we were already in but we've been actually physically isolated from people and even more in our silo you can just imagine how it is the perfect it's the perfect set of circumstances to get people into these rabbit holes and searching for a sense of community a sense of connection a sense of togetherness and it's 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 like fascinating how it how it can happen but it's also so disturbing how easily it can happen and how really again um it's, it's also easy to kind of be on the outside of it and look and say like, oh my gosh, that's so crazy. That's so insane. And I just would want to like really hone in on the, on the fact that we're actually all very vulnerable to this. We really truly are. We're all very manipulatable, all very vulnerable. So it is easy to have like that perspective on the outside, but we can very easily get onto the inside of some of that stuff. And I, we don't have time to go too deeply into this, but one of the things that I was quite interested in, too, is in, in the documentary, they made a connection with, um, with media and news and the way that it functions very, very similarly mm-hmm. to social media. And I, it, I feel like none of us want to believe that, right? That it kind of works on that same dopamine release system, that it has some of the same addictive qualities, but also that more and more these days, that it's also being delivered supposedly free. Yes. And so more and more, even our kind of trusted news outlets are working on the same a monetary system that our social media outlets are. And it, I think they didn't even begin to go deep enough into it. You can only do so much in one documentary, but I think it's worth looking at as how do we even start to say or criticize fake news anymore mm-hmm. when even our established media outlets are being forced to compete in the same, everything's going to be free. And so we're going to sell your attention. Yes to advertisers, to whoever's willing to pay to hear what, you know, you want to hear. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it just so much more from even organizations that have been trusted news outlets. It's so much of it is propaganda, like very simply put, it's just, it is riding on more of those, those, um, 
those ways that really engage us by using our survival system, our fight and flight system, like, and our pleasure system, like what gets us hooked, those things get us hooked. And so a lot of those um, media outlets, they have a very specific targeted audience, you know, like Fox News, they know who they are talking to. Um, and they actually even in a kind of roundabout way admitted recently and because they got sued. I don't know if you heard about this, but Fox News got sued. Um, Tucker Carlson, pardon me, uh, he got sued for something that he said. And Fox News in the lawsuit responded with, yeah, basically, I, I'm not going to quote this 100 percent correctly. So pardon me if I get it a little bit wrong. But it, the, the document basically said this is hyperbole this is not real news like they basically in this lawsuit admitted to not being like a full-on news channel anymore so this is very important for people to pay attention to is like whether you want whether you align with that viewpoint or not it doesn't matter it's just is it news can we even call it news like i personally wouldn't actually be surprised if if in short order we just start hearing fox referred to as fox and the news just gets dropped like that's I think we're coming in that's the next place that we're really coming into in this is like what is news like what what is happening <laughs> you know and I also find too with when I um uh I had an interesting interaction with my grandma who was referring to an uh, um, um a pamphlet that is a it's a very very biased um source of information and my sister and I were just gently trying to inform her around like just so you know the people that put that out da 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 and and for her it was like what do you mean this isn't news like it was so hard for her to understand that this thing that looks and feels like a newspaper is actually not really a newspaper so we're yeah it's um it's a big can of worms <laughs> Such a big can of worms, and I think how uh, I was recently gifted a subscription to The New Yorker, which mm. I haven't had for years because, boy, keeping up with those things every week, it's yes. a lot. And But I really noticed in myself, I love long-form journalism, mm -hmm. which we used to do, we used to read, and we used to take part in. But also, we used to live in a world where maybe you got kind of, you know, the New York Times or your local newspaper one time every day. And maybe then you subscribe something like the New Yorker. I mean, this is if you're a pretty heavy reader, right? And so what constituted news was in-depth, slow-moving mm -hmm. journalism. Mm -hmm. And we didn't need to give daily, hourly moment by moment updates on everything that was new mm -hmm. because the pace of things was just a little bit slower. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to pay attention, for instance, mm -hmm. long enough to understand the complexity of an issue. Yes. Why, uh, you know, the so-and-so politician is pushing for this, why this war might be uh, about to start in the Middle East, what's going on in our own waters with, you know, whatever. Like, I feel like now even people like me who really like kind of long-form journalism, I look at my New Yorker and I'm like, oh, I can kind of make it through the 
cartoons, you know, maybe one story. <laughs> and my brain's kind of tired just from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we, there, we have lots of challenges. We are at the top of hours, so we're going to about to take another break. And I do also feel like this is just a wonderful moment to plug local community radio and things like the very slow journalism form of folk you radio. <laughs> you know, self plugs are, are, you know, nobody else is going to do them. So you have to do them for yourself. So. Uh, thank you, community, for helping make this happen, and people like you, Haley. Mm. Otherwise, how could we? Mm. You are listening to Cortez Community Radio, CKTZ, 89.5 FM, and this is the Folk You Radio Show. Today we are talking about social media, what it's doing to our brains, what it's doing to our culture. I invite you to call in. I'd love to hear your stories, but also your questions. You're listening to 250. Oh, you can call in at 250 250- Nine three five zero two zero zero. 0 You have a few minutes while we listen to some music to decide to come and ask us a question.
You are listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM, and this is the Folk You Radio Show. I'm your host, Manda O'Fox Gillespie, and we are super lucky today to have on with us Haley Newell, and we are talking all things social media um, and maybe even beyond social media. Really, we're, we're looking at the way we relate to the online world. Um, and we had a number of, of great calls. Thank you so much, Jen and Desta, for calling during the break. Uh, it's community radio because we have a great community like you. So the first thing I wanted uh, to pass on from one of our listeners was this question about, can you talk a little bit about online dating, which I imagine is a whole nother show and a half at least, but but how this relates to online dating and swipe apps, which I can imagine what they are, but you do not even know what those are, and how this feeds into the all the same stuff we've talked about, about dopamine and connection and social media addiction, et cetera. Yeah. So yeah, thanks so much for the question. And um, I would love to do a show on online dating. <laughs> I'm, I'm up for it if, if you're up for it. Um, so the first thing that comes up for me with this one, actually, before I do that, I'll just answer your question about what is a swipe app. So there's a whole bunch of <clears throat> dating apps out there. And one of them uh, is called Tinder. And I, I might be wrong about this, but I think it is the first dating app that had the swiping feature. Uh, so what it is, is you create a profile and it has a picture of you that pops up. So if, you know, so-and-so fellow is is on his phone looking at potential people to meet, I would pop up, my little profile would pop up. And then what you do to indicate if you're interested or not is you either swipe left or swipe right. So, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, It's it's been a while since I tried one of these because <laughs> I am skeptical. Um, but I believe if you swipe right, generally it's like, I like you. If you swipe left, nah, not so much. So basically what you have is now there's a whole bunch of other dating apps and now they're all using the swiping feature. So you can literally be sitting there and all you're doing is swiping. Right, right, left, 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 right, left, left, left. And that's what you're doing. And like, I will completely be transparent in this and name that I have tried a few different online apps and this whole swiping thing is just the craziest, like what is happening with the brain with the whole swiping thing is fascinating because there's this way in which it kind of feels like you're doing something and you are literally doing nothing. You are literally doing nothing. You are literally on your phone. I'm doing this with my hand. You guys can't see me. This is where I forget I'm on the radio. I'm pretending my hand is the phone and I'm swiping on it. Like, this is what we're spending our time doing. What is happening? So anyway, what came up for me when with this question is just that piece around that I was mentioning before with the dopamine system is that it's not so much the reward itself, but the expectation of a reward that is what most powerfully influences our, our emotional reactions. So I think what we can get hooked into there is like, the next one might be better. The next one might be better. The lat one's a little bit off. Maybe the next one, maybe the next one. And we're in this fantasy world of potential, which is one of the, I think, main problems with the way we approach relationships and dating in general is this whole idea of like something better is out there, this kind of fictional, perfect, ideal mate, you know, like what if, what if, what if, um, 
And what I would get into if we did do an online dating show is just there is already kind of a a sense within my generation, and I don't know as much about the younger generation, but within my generation, I would say for sure that there is a sense of, of in general, it being harder to commit, it being harder to um, like choose one person and kind of stick with it. Not necessarily that um, I just want to backtrack and say that there's many ways of being in relationship and, you know, monogamous, non-monogamous, all of that, valid, welcome, all kinds of relationship choices, valid and welcome. Um, what I'm speaking to more is is this kind of sense of like actually being able to be in what you're in and 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 this sense that there's kind of like the grass is always greener. That's that's a theme, um, I would say, in my generation and a, and a frustration of like, well, um, we'll see where this goes, but I don't really know. And this kind of ambiguity thing is, 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 is a theme. And I, my curiosity is how much the, is the way that we're dating now actually feeding into this? Like, is it becoming another feedback loop of, of this sort of like constant potential something else, you know? So that's a whole other show. You, I, I can really see that sort of activation almost of the the expectation reward, right? It's just like how fulfilling and you do the little swipe. And then the other thing that really struck me is even when online dating first came out, you at least had to read their profile. And But when I saw you doing that swiping, it just looked so one second, one second. Absolutely, because now it, what's happening with all the dating apps is that they're getting less and less information and and sometimes it's just a picture so it's very very superficial and also it's an online curated thing so even back in the day and i'm i'm talking like a year or two ago <laughs> just like a handful of years ago back in the day you at least had to like sit and write a little bit about yourself you had to kind of fumble through that you know and now you can you can get away with literally either putting nothing and just having a picture or putting like the most basic information you know a job title you know name like your three favorite records or like it's like so superficial and this is what we're basing like whether or not we want to have a date with this person so um, it's fraught with peril. It's completely fraught with peril. And, uh, and I think, um, I, you know, and then also just to add in that we're doing this because we're seeking connection. So, you know, and, and like real connection, um, but is real connection actually available there? Cause not only is, are you interfacing with this machine in reality, but also what you're interfacing with is a curated social profile or image. So what are you really interacting with, right? And the thing that struck me when talking with my younger uh, friends about this who are mostly it's my younger friends who are dating either you have to make this choice like I'm online dating or I am not and what I found a lot of them say is that even if they're not online dating because the option of online dating exists the potentiality or the urgency of connection in real time is gone so whereas when I was 
looking for connection um, in that way. If I sat down next to you on the bus and you were, you know, handsome and interesting and reading my favorite book, like I'm going to talk to you. I mean, maybe some of it's just because it's me and I'm going to talk to you anyway. <laughs> but now if you get on, you know, back in the day when we could, you know, be on public transit or be on the ferry and kind of out and about, everyone's on their phones. Nobody is is reading a book or kind of available to sit down next to and talk. Yeah, exactly. And I think that even it's sometimes even a little bit further where if someone does try to engage with you, you know, in real life, um, IRL, as the kids say, um, it's like, what are you doing? What What is happening right now that you're having, you want to have a conversation with me in real time? And I'll, I'll do my best to remember to include a hilarious um, satirical comedy uh, video um, on this exact thing where it's this couple, or pardon me, not a couple, it's these two folks that meet in a coffee shop and the fella wants to approach the gal and like ask her out and they are so awkward that they actually that they actually start doing it on their phones via a dating app even though they are in the same coffee shop together it's so brilliant such a nail on the head for our times where like they they literally don't know how to do it in real life anymore i do feel like this uh leads to the other thing that i uh, want to bring up right now which is about uh screen and social media addiction and how it applies to our children and uh i I have a couple books that I've published around uh, children's health and, and human health as it relates to kids. And I've written about the issues with with media mm-hmm. and screens and what it does to kids' brains. So I have a lot of information at my resource at my fingertips. And so I wanted to go and get the information from the American Canadian Medical Associations in regard to screen time with kids to just like you know bring it up again so we could talk about it today and my books which are only a few years old uh had this in it i went back today and i was looking at it and just in the last couple years the these associations have changed their guidelines so they used to say that kids under two should never be put in front of screens because we have an incredible amount of research on what it does to a kid's forming brain Mm -hmm. and how damaging it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And that continues. And so they used to say there was some limits from two to whatever. And then basically it was sort of like, you know, for your whole childhood, you should never have more than two hours in front of screens. And this includes all screen times, whatever that is. And now... They, they basically said, oh, we still know that it's messing kids' brains up, mm-hmm. um, that it's addictive, everything else. But because 36% of um, American children before the age of one are already routinely exposed to screens and virtually 95% of teenagers have access regularly to a smartphone, of which about half say they are on it all the time Mm -hmm. so they said well we don't have instead so we're not gonna have limits anymore we're just gonna say that yeah you know you should try to do it better right yeah yeah I need to take a breath hearing all that (laughs) you know I just it's it's a bit depressing um because I that's actually it's new information for me I would I have still been kind of operating from those earlier guidelines of like yeah don't put young kiddos 
the two and unders in front of screens. Um, part of what that's about is that we our eyes are not fully developed and there's a particular layer um, that comes and forms over our eyes that um, it's like a protective layer and without that the blue light I believe it's the blue light um, the way that that gets in is, is is so much more intense and damaging to the young kiddo's brain and eyes um, so yeah I've still been very much operating from that place um, from those older, uh, not that old, uh, recommendations. So I guess what it brings up for me is that it's, it's become one of the main things with children is that children are learning from us primarily through observation. <clears throat> they are learning how to be by watching us be. <clears throat> and so one of the things that comes up for me in hearing that is is that we are just so um, addicted, attached to, driven by, motivated by, in relationship with these devices and screens that it almost seems like a collective, like, I don't want to say a collective giving up, although that might be part of it, but just that we're in a big blind spot, I think, collectively around what's happened. And, and we as adults, and that so that includes the researchers and the doctors and the this and the that, we are all so in a blind spot on this problem with ourselves. And so much in the difficulty of, 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 um, of these relationships with screens and we're trying to reduce it and trying to, you know, not take the phone to bed and, and all of this and, and just being constantly confronted with actually how difficult it is to, to make changes and even being, being even more in the shadow of like, not even really recognizing that it's a thing and that it has these impacts and that our kids are watching and that it does, it is going to have these consequences. Um, so that's what comes up for me most in hearing that. And I I do want to acknowledge that I sort of know, I've known, I've done a lot of research on these impacts. I know how bad it is. And nevertheless, um, and I've had a lot of privilege mm. because I have not been a single mom raising my kids without support. Yeah. I have not been living in poverty for that time, et cetera. And these do play a huge role because we also are living in a time when the sort of expectation that our kids will always be watched by someone is very high mm -hmm. versus like when I grew up in poverty um, you know and of course we didn't have any of these things I had a little tiny black and white tv that didn't have cable um, at the best of times right so um, but there was also not the expectation that anybody was home with me all the time that my mom who was a single mom had to be there all the time so things have really shifted and I also really have kind of watched the damage that I've done to my own children even while wanting to take on these issues because the time that I've had to work to write those books that I talked about to research to be involved has always been done at the expense of time with them. Mm -hmm. I have been with them, they're a primary caregiver, and so if I wanted to go on the computer or look up an article or respond to an email, it was in front of them. Mm -hmm. And so they have this relationship or feeling that, that they tell me that I am always like on my phone or my computer, 
and which they do not have with their father, who for sure spends about a hundred times more um, traditionally on his phone and computer and things like that because he's had an important job. But he went away mm-hmm. right from the home. He mm-hmm. went away from mm-hmm. the office. And so one, I just want to say, like, I really acknowledge the the pain of the primary caregiver and um, and how kind of we're, we don't get to be free of it in a way that feels often to me a little oppressive. Mm-hmm. Um, like even if we're aware, we just feel disappointed in mm-hmm. ourselves amongst every uh, everything else. So maybe like, are there things that you're seeing that are better options, healthy limits, ways to manage um, the what we have? You know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for naming that piece around privilege. Uh, I fully fully see that and acknowledge that too and it's so true you know we were living within this system and these societal constraints where you know it often does take two people earning a a living and we all you know we also want to be out in the world doing these things and so yeah it's it's um it's like it's like this kind of impossible maze it seems like a little bit where we you know we turn one corner and there's the other wall and and so what is the right way and the and the wrong way and is that even you know right and wrong is that even the way to look at it and and certainly i we're never going to be perfect you know we're never going to be perfect and never has it been perfect like this is a challenge of these times and there's been challenges of all the other times you know like you know gen xers talk about being latchkey kids and just coming home and nobody being around and being raised by television and da 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 and it's like that had a whole set of challenges too different from right now so we're always in some kind of sea of challenge um so yeah just to name that uh it, in that way it's not new and and parents just like any human can never be perfect and that all parents through all of time have had different kinds of challenges and 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 it it never does have to be perfect and actually it's better i mean it's impossible for it to be perfect and we don't want it to be anyway because what we want is for um all of us as adults and as children to learn that repair is possible and that we can come back and we can come back and come back. And so here we had this rupture here. We had this, you know, Oh yeah, I got distracted by my phone and I'm here with you now. You're right. I got distracted by that. And now I'm here with you repair repair is always possible. And actually it's, that is the key moreover than actually doing it right the first time. Because if you think about reality, like real life, it's far more real that we're just making mistake, learning, meeting a challenge, da, da 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 and then reflecting and going, right, okay, here I can do that a little differently. Here I can do it a little bit better. Life is not everything is hunky-dory and here we go and everything's perfect and everything's great. No, life is challenge after challenge after challenge. And how am I meeting that challenge? How can I meet that challenge next time? Upon reflection, I see that you needed some more contact from me. Here I am. I'm sorry, here I am. So the repair is like much more important. So I would just offer that to all the parents listening that again, um, it's it's so much more about repair than it is about quote unquote being a perfect parent, which is a fiction anyway. Um, that makes me a little bit teary. <laughs> 
It's really good though, because I was having a moment of just feeling about all the ways that I have <laughs> let my children down. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. I hear that, and uh, and it's the you know, of course we're gonna let our children down. Of course we're gonna let our partners down. Of course we're gonna let our friends down. Of course, that's what's inevitable, and so then what do we do from there? And that's the piece, because then what our kids learn is, right, I can make a mistake, I can mess up, I can do that uh, I can do that one way or that way, and I have another chance, I can try again, and I still get to be in connection. Like, I don't have to, you know, go away and figure it all out on my own. I don't have to retreat, I don't have to withdraw. I can, I've learned through the process with my parents that repair is always possible. So now with my partner, I, I, I'm able to acknowledge, yeah, when I said that that way, that sucked. I'm so sorry. I realized that had this impact on you and I didn't mean it like that. That's what teaches them how to do that, you know? So that's the key takeaway of the day is repair is always possible. Um, and you had asked me something else, but I got, I got, in well, that. Um, yeah, I think you're kind of on it, which is what are the, the alternatives to some extent right. or the limits that we can um, realistically have. And I think uh, the repair part is a really good lead into that because what I'm realizing with my own self is that there has to be almost a repair with myself where I can forgive myself for not always having gotten it right and I can name that to my kids as part of why a conversation might feel charged for them because it's charged for me. Exactly, exactly. So yes, this is where, you know, we get into the nitty gritty hard work of parenting and really any other relationship, which is that it totally does start with you 100%. So if you just to keep with the theme of parents and kiddos right now, if you are a parent that wants to kind of take this on a little bit, maybe you're noticing habits within yourself that you want to change, or you're noticing some things with your kids that are concerning starts with you. So one thing that you could look at in starting it is to just name for your kiddos, you know, I, I'm noticing, I, I'm a little concerned about some of my habits around my phone and social media, and I'm going to start taking some steps to work on that. You can start just there, just naming that. And then, um, you know, kind of get clear with yourself around what what are some of the things that you want to change? And with habits, like it, again, it cannot be stressed enough. Start small because we have this habit, haha, of, of like, okay, tomorrow everything is different. I will never take my phone to bed again. And I forever onward will be this amazing fictional person. Da, 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 da. It never works. We, we, we for sure fail and then we feel crappy and then we don't want to, it takes a while before we try again. So we want to try to do these micro shifts. So, okay, I'll name a whole bunch of ideas. Delete your social media apps off your phone so that when you are going to go check, you're doing it when you're sitting down at your desk or in some kind of like um, contained time. Like, for example, I'm going to check my social media accounts in the morning before I start work, or I'm going to check my social media accounts in the evening after work or whatever, or it can be even more than that, but at certain kind of times of the day, 
morning with coffee, lunch, and after. Um, but one thing I have personally found really helpful is I no longer have any of the apps on my phone. So I can't just be like sitting at a coffee shop, um, you know, where I could be interacting with community members and scrolling on my phone. I mean, I can check email. So that's, you know, that's one of mine addicted to email, totally addicted to email over here. So working on that. And the other ones are not on my phone. So I, so that's been helpful. Um, thinking of your phone more as a tool and not as a toy. So the next time you need to get a new case, maybe don't get the one with the butterflies and the flowers and the waves and the this and the that. Just get something really simple. We're really um, attracted. We're like, what's that bird? Like magpies, you know? We like shiny, attractive things and and it's fun and it's play and, and that's all really good. But I think there's there's a piece in there around how can I relate to this a bit more like a tool um, and, you know, not just having like plain wallpaper, you know, just kind of like getting it down to a bit more of the utilitarian um, aspects of it. Um, Trying to get clear with yourself around um, what feels like an okay amount of time to be engaging with this stuff is what feels good in my body. Like literally take a moment to check in. Does an hour feel good? Does two hours feel good? Like if you really kind of sit with like just three hours feel good. Like for me, if I, if I start to push it into that time amount, it feels like too much for me. I can do it. If I get into the habit, I can definitely spend that much time doing it. Um, but when I actually feel into my body around what feels good, um, it's less. So then keeping that as a goal and trying to work towards it incrementally. And then noticing when you are confronted by what you will what you will absolutely be confronted by, like any other kind of addicting habit, like coffee, like sugar, when you don't have it, you will have a physiological feeling in your body around it. You'll really, really want to do the thing <laughs> really, really badly. And so you then just noticing that, noticing what does this feel like? Oh, it feels like agitation inside me. It feels like grabby. It feels like Ugh, it feels like my skin's kind of on fire. Okay, so what can I do about that? What are some things I can do to, to kind of soothe that in myself? And, um, and a little trick that I like to use for myself is, you know, say I've eaten like half the chocolate bar and I'm really trying to not eat the whole chocolate bar in one sitting, maybe, um, <laughs> is that I'll say, okay, Haley, have a drink of water and go for a little 20 minute walk. And then if you still really want to eat the rest of that thing, you totally can. So you just, so you can say to yourself like, okay, you've had your social media time of the day. For example, say you've met your, you've kind of come to your decided upon allotment and you're like feeling the urge to go back on. Just give yourself a little like, you know what? Okay. I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to read one chapter of my book or I'm going to go and have a conversation with that person for 10 minutes. And if I still want to do the thing after, then I totally can. So yeah, like, yeah. And then also getting curious about what is actually the need underneath the drive to do that thing. And again, social media is so much about connection. So 
is there a way that you can find connection without doing that? So phoning a friend, going for coffee with a friend, um, having a conversation with your kids, petting your dog, going for a walk in nature and like having a conversation with the trees or just kind of inviting yourself to take in the experience of being outside with the trees and the birds and the rocks and the everything. So trying to awaken yourself to where there is connection outside of this. And then again, if you've done that and then it's like, I still really want to check Instagram. Okay. Well, you did that other thing. So sure, go ahead, do that thing. But you're just, you're basically reminding your system that there's all this opportunity for connection and all this opportunity to get needs met in another way too. Because that's another piece I'm glad I remember to say that with addiction, there's a lot of research to suggest that just taking away the thing, it doesn't work. You have to replace it with things. So with so- social media, the th- again, the thing that you're looking for is connection often. Um, try to replace it. And there might be other things that you realize that you're reaching for. You know, it might be like information or content and it's like, okay, cool. That's great. But maybe there's another way I can get that first. And so those are some things that I would be curious about. And then also just really naming if you are, again, a parent with a kiddo and you're taking this on and you start with you like really being transparent and vulnerable about it and naming like, oh my gosh, I set this boundary for myself with my social media and I've met it and I really want to check and it's hard and I'm really noticing this reaction and feel free to really invite your kids into that. And I would say to start with all of that before trying to change their behavior because they're watching you. They're paying attention to what you're doing and like eventually they'll probably get curious about what you're doing and and they might want to do it with you and if you start pulling out the puzzles or the art projects or the whatever maybe they'll come and do it with you um but yeah all that to say start with you first one of the things that i was really struck by in the documentary um is the they had some stats particularly around preteen and teenaged girls yeah um and one of them was about self-harm and cutting, and it was like something like a hundred and fifty percent increase, or you know, some huge more than a hundred percent increase. Do you have those stats from the? I do, yeah. So, um, self-harming behaviors in older teen girls up sixty-two percent, and up a hundred and eighty-nine percent for preteen girls. So it's nearly tripled for the preteens. And very sadly, there, we're seeing the same pattern with suicide. So with older teen girls um, between the ages of 15 and 19, suicide rates are up 70%. And preteen girls who have had historically very low rates of suicidality, um, the rates are up 151%. I can almost not talk about this. Yeah, I know. I mean, when I think about kids age 10 and 11 who would commit suicide and it just, it's feels like so big. Um, and I have kids, you know, in these ages and it has been so hard through this pandemic because before this, my teenager wasn't even on social media. Mm-hmm. And and 
it got to the place where weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks went by where she was able to have no contact with anyone in her, you know, even kind of general age group. Yeah. And I just think, (laughs) you know, like I basically out of desperation because it was clear things you know teenagers actually need their brains I've been told need each other oh yeah and so (laughs) but then I've given her this drug Mm -hmm. um and that's how I feel I feel like I've given her a drug that makes her life more tolerable in the short term Mm. and that we and that there's so little option because without that drug that her all of her friends are doing <laughs> i'm removing her from her friends and it's gotten so complicated with with the pandemic too where mm-hmm. even when you were talking i was like oh yeah i need to deal with my email addiction right I, I should remove it from my phone and i thought i can't do it alone i need to be part of a group mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Haley, whoever's listening we could like we could be part of a group and then i was like we can text each other how we're doing every day <laughs> and i <laughs> I don't know. Like, what's the yeah. answer? Yeah, yeah. I I feel really like I just maybe there are no easy answers, and that's um, part of the thing. And actually, one of the calls we got was asking about this. Like, is it is this thing, which is a non-algorithm app that's supposed to be like faith, Facebook called Vero? Are things like that an answer, or are they just sort of a slightly less bad? you know part of the same issue are time limits this is what we do in our family you've got we've got time limits we all have time limits on our phones but of course once again the kids have really limited time limits and i have you know a time limit that goes all the way until 10 o'clock at night Mm -hmm. um so like i know we've already talked about these sort of slow steps but um you know do you have anything to say about kind of the less bad yeah um so that recommendation from the caller is not one that I've heard about. So thank you so much for sharing that. I'm going to look into it. I, I do know a little bit more about things like DuckDuckGo and, and some of these um, search engines that don't track. So so that's an alternative if that's one of the pieces that really stands out as a concern. There are alternatives to that. Wait, can I just oh, put yeah. a call out? Because mm-hmm. I just did a bunch of research on, um, I decided to leave Google. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, uh, in part because I was just so freaked out about how many, how often I was tracked, um, you know, the, back to the bold, mm-hmm. <laughs> the bold man ads. So I started, I did some research and DuckDuckGo was the one that came up for me and I've been used. Okay. Actually, one of the things that got me to give up Google is I was looking for a past episode of this radio show. Mm. Um, and I it was, it was actually, it was the free store thing with, with Morgan and I just looked it up the day before and I found it no problem um you know I put in all the things you're supposed to Cortez free store Morgan etc and I looked for it and one day it came up and the next day on Google they had changed something and I was getting the craziest responses and they weren't mm. like like and and you know maybe this is sort of like oh well you, you like you want actually to be tracked so they're giving you the right responses but uh-huh. i want to believe that if you put cortez island radio station you know morgan that is going to give me that's going to route me more than 
that I accidentally clicked on some ad. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I stopped using Google. I started using DuckDuckGo, which is just another search engine that you can have instead. And you can use your Google to go there, find it, and and start using it. And um, and all my like immediately that the thing that I was looking for came up. And my searches have been really good. They feel like they're information driven versus that I accidentally clicked on something and you know about. Uh, you know, India, and now they're sending me like to another place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, is it, are there, are these kinds of things actually helpful? I think that's a really, really good question. And I don't have an answer to that really. I think we're all just kind of in this and we have this whole new set of questions before us. Um, you know, something that comes to mind for me is that when we have a high value around something and, and, you know, maybe this is something we can talk about more in another show, but when you have a really high value around something, it, it usually doesn't take a lot of extra effort to do it. So for example, I know you, Manda, love reading. So like for you, that doesn't, you don't have to like talk yourself into it to do it. Right. Um, and so we all have areas like this where we have very high value. We have we have a high value on something. So we will easily move towards that. So I think that some a way to look at this perhaps is to is to is to sit with yourself and and wonder about is this use of this thing impacting my values and like the other areas of my life that I want to be growing and you know achieving and and having time for it it could be like as simple as just going for more walks like is it affecting your values because you know there is there can be a question around like yeah that person has that habit but is there a negative consequence like is it really a problem for them you know maybe like they're doing everything they want to do in their life and they have this habit so is it really a problem for them? I think that's a value, a valuable question. And I also know, and, and, and I know that there are folks out there that are like, technology's here to stay. It's, you know, it's not a problem. Da, 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 da. And it's just going to come more and more and more. And, you know, there probably are folks out there that would have a really different set of, of, of things to share about all of this. So, um, so yeah, I think for me, the pieces that are really concerning is stuff like what we just said about the adolescence and the suicide, because what's happening there is this isolation and this silo. And, and I think also this, um, the way in which social media and media can very much warp our sense of self, our self-concept and get us comparing to these fictionalized others. You know, you can go back and just look at, you know, even before when, like when I was younger and we didn't have all this social media, just what I would see in magazines and movies in terms of like what a woman is supposed to look like or what a man is supposed to look like and what a relationship is supposed to look like and having these externalized, um, ideals or ideas of something and, and like thinking that that's the way it's supposed to be and oh but I'm not really that so so I must be bad or wrong or broken somehow so I think so I think that that is is a piece um 
that could be getting like, you know, there's maybe a bit more fuel to that, to that fire perhaps with the social media and the way that we can, you know, be on Instagram and have all these filters and change the way our faces look. And I heard this other crazy thing in doing, preparing for this show around how young girls, um, and I would, I wish I had actually more stats on, on, on young boys. And I know that they're out there too, but what I was getting was more on, on young girls and just how they're now going to their parents requesting, cosmetic surgery to look more like how they look with all these filters. So, so, so this is where I think we're treading into some pretty scary territory. So yeah. And then just to kind of bring it back, if we can link it up to where our values are, then the resistance is, is, is much less. Yeah. I like that. Uh, A user just sent on, on my phone. Uh, <laughs> which I was looking at while Haley was talking. Uh, but this this quote, which I thought was really good, I might be butchering the name, but Chamath Palihapatia, who's the former VP of user growth at Facebook, said that, quote, I can control my decision, which is that I don't use that S-H-I-T referring to social media. I can control my kids' decision, which is that they're not allowed to use that same word, the short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops that we have created are destroying how society works. Um, And I actually, I believe he was one of the people in the documentary too. Um, And I I do think it's interesting how many people from Silicon Valley have come forward to say, this has gotten out of control. Mm -hmm. And when are we ever going to step in? Mm -hmm. And what does stepping in look like? One of the things that was mentioned on that documentary was the idea that just like you would um, charge uh, a big company for their use of electricity or water, that we charge these big uh, companies for their use of, of, of data and information mm-hmm. that it's actually that they have to pay for their amount that they're sucking in from us and sending back out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you, I, I was start, just even starting to think about like, why have we let uh, these companies like what is Facebook? Facebook is like worth $10 billion and it's nothing like mm-hmm. it's almost has no overhead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, isn't that a monopoly? At yeah. some point, don't we go in and break it up? And then I was talk- I was talking about this in my family, and my husband was like, how could you even break it up? It's worth more than most countries. Yes. So now you just go wherever you need to go where it's not regulated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I know. This is a huge, this is a huge piece. I think, I think that was the latest, um, confrontation with with Facebook on it was I think whether or not they actually are a monopoly I think it was Facebook I need to look into that again um or if or maybe it was Google I can't remember but this did come up on whether or not they constitute a monopoly yes I am pretty sure it was Facebook so yeah super valid questions and of course yeah how do you regulate it how do you how do you even begin this they have so much money um I mean, this gets us into another whole topic. I don't know if you've if you've heard or been following the whole unfolding story with Peter Nygaard, 
um, the Canadian clothing mogul who there's all this information coming out right now about um, um, sexual abuse of women and, and trafficking. And so it's like another Jeffrey Epstein um, character and a Canadian uh, fellow. So it's, it's very disturbing, very depressing. There's a, there's a docu-series on um, CBC. You can, you can get it as a podcast. They've been working on it for like 10 years. So I, I, I recommend it, but I recommend it with like the biggest possible trigger warning. It's deeply, deeply upsetting. But why I'm bringing it up is the fact that this man had so much money. He had so much money. And so when these companies have this much money, like I think there's some, there's some really big problems when you, when you get that big and you have that much wealth at your disposal, it does. I mean, this is where it's like, wow, we're, we're these little, we're these little folks. We're like the little, the little guys. What, what do we do? However, we, we do, if we, this is why I think, you know, the information is really powerful. So now if people know this is what's happening to my brain on social media, like you can't ever unknow that. Right. So, so if we collectively choose different things, that is what makes the impact. And, and yes, traditionally hitting anyone in the pocket seems to have an effect. So, you know, that was one thing that was talked about in the documentary was how could we begin charging them? How could we begin taxing them? And who knows, you know, if companies, you know, like with Facebook, if it's too late to do that, if, if, if it's gotten too big, but now for like other companies starting out, maybe, maybe we put these limitations on, but certainly something that we need to we need to be talking about more and I think looking into like yeah who's bringing this up who are our allies in this who is going out and advocating how can we maybe support them maybe we can financially support them maybe maybe on our social media channels we can begin to spread that kind of content you know we can bring that more into the light because there are folks out there that are working on these things and 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 how do we make that bigger than you know click here to see the craziest explosion and anyway you know the clickbait stuff yeah one of the things they also talked about uh in the documentary that i thought was interesting was how we regulate phone companies so much and this sort of idea that they have you know they have all this access to our information and as well as just to what our conversations and after 9-11 actually despite how much we regulate them we removed some of those regulations Mm. and you were talking about this too how little of that went back and um, but also how we've made almost no attempt to do any form of regulation for for these big social media companies or data mining companies whatever we want to call them uh, and it, it doesn't seem like it's too late to mm-hmm. put rules. It's just that government has to do it. We mm-hmm. can't expect the companies to do it mm-hmm. themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They're, you know, they've been doing it this way for this long. They don't have any real incentive or reason. So it is, it is, a, it is one of the roles that government very much could be playing on our behalf. I, I hope that we will. Yeah. Do you have any last um, thoughts 
preferably that make us not feel like <laughs> going out and laying down and giving up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Don't do that. Um, yeah, just just bringing it back to um, this idea of of connection and that we're we we're all dealing with this new. Um, we've all arrived here together. We're all being made aware of this stuff now. I mean, yes, some folks have known about it for a while. Some folks don't know about it yet, but you know, there's more of a wave now of awareness around this. So here we are, here we are. So it's like what I was talking about with the, with the nervous system and with the brain. It's like, here's our challenge. We're aware of this challenge. We're having a reaction to it. Some of us, you know, we might feel like we want to go lay down. Some of us might get really mad. All of that's totally normal and valid. We're going to have a reaction. We're going to have a response. Have that reaction. Have that response, you know, and then do something that you know helps when you have that response. Like if you feel like going and having a little lie down, a little time out, that's cool. If you feel angry, you that's valid you know anger comes up when we have boundary issues arising so maybe there's some feeling of like this doesn't sit well with my boundaries so yeah just being aware of your own reaction knowing it's valid and knowing we're all we're all here and and coming back to what we're really going for when we're when we're reaching for these things which is connection and how can we how can we connect in ways that actually fill our bucket to quote that great children's book um and and paying attention to I think actually that's a good one is 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 to just bring a little bit more consciousness like when you're engaging in those things when does it actually feel like it fills your bucket and when doesn't it and so maybe do more of the thing that fills your bucket and less of the thing that doesn't and then look for other ways of filling that bucket away from that Again, not not so much about, you know, getting into this good, bad dichotomy, but just just getting more conscious of like, oh, yeah, is my need getting met here? Yes or no. Where it is getting met? Great. Where it's not getting met? Let's try something else. Let's try, you know, phoning. Let's try going for a walk. Let's try picking up a book. Let's just try something else. I love it. Thank you so much, Haley. Uh, this really helped fill my bucket. Um, and I hope you, listener, also had a little something in your bucket filled. And I want to just say one moment of thank you for for all of those who out there who make up this community. And to some extent, that's all of those wherever you are, because I feel like we have a real community that is formed through the radio and that includes all the way to Ohio where my mom is listening, sometimes Japan, who knows, Cortez, Quadra, other places. Because I feel like this is an amazing alternative to social media and we are learning and we are indeed connecting. And a special thanks to all those who called in today who did a little bit more connecting with us. You've been listening to CKTZ, Cortez.